the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Linton Nightingale, Senior Reporter and Editor of the Lloyd's List Monthly Magazine and today I have with me Lloyd's List Chair of the Editorial Board, Janet Porter, and I'm delighted to say we are also joined by Peter Weber, who is Chief Executive of Container Trade Statistics. He's going to be helping us dissect the performance of the liner industry this year amid the turbulence of the coronavirus pandemic, but also giving us some background on this organisation um, that provides the only source of official volume data in TEU on the major container shipping trades. So for those that don't know what container trade statistics is or does, Peter, can you just give our listeners, I guess, a little history lesson on how the organisation came about and its role today? Yes. Hi, Linton. Uh, thank you for inviting me along today to chat about these things. Yes, CTS. We've been around since 2008, actually. Uh, and if you remember, I think it was midnight on the 18th of October 2008, the liner conferences came to an abrupt end. And uh, obviously, there'd been a lot of lobbying before that uh, by the European Liner Affairs Association uh, with with the authorities in Brussels to be able to continue some way of, you know, having this uh, information exchange that that would give transparency to the industry uh, and benefit all kind of stakeholders in it. So eventually, obviously, with 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 the ending of the of the block exemption of of regulation four hundred five six eighty six, we kind of stepped in. We were ready to step in uh, on the Monday morning. I, I mean, the eighteenth of October, I think, was a Saturday. It all ended at midnight. We opened our doors in Woking, uh, just outside of London. Uh, on that Monday, and at that time, we were actually a fully owned subsidiary of the European Line Affairs Association, which worked fine. Uh, we obviously, our job at CTS was to manage the database and to build it, obviously with the help of uh, technical consultants. And um, <clears throat> that went fine. We were concentrating on Europe trades to start with, but what we soon found was, because we were owned by the European Line of Affairs Association, we were considered to be part of that group. You know, in other words, we had the same status as a member line. And with all the attention that was being given to this new information exchange in 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 the wake of the demise of the conferences, you know, we were we were subject to the same rules. So we weren't actually able to look in detail at, at the data. So it made our job in managing in terms of, you know, checking the data to make sure it was logical. It made that very difficult. So uh, in 2010, the ELAA decided that its job was done and sort of disbanded in, I think it was July of that year. And Worldliner Data Limited was set up just after that. Uh, which was the kind of new vehicle for collecting the member line's data. And CTS at the same time became independent. So that made it much easier for us to to manage the data, to be completely impartial. And obviously, you know, we all signed confidentiality agreements 
but it did mean that we could look at the data as it was coming in and we could um, you know do our sanity checks properly without relying on on our external consultants uh, which is what we had to do when um, we were part of ENAA so the whole structure then became much much better uh, we were independent and we still are uh, and we we continue with this kind of arm's length agreement with Worldliner Data Limited to manage their database. So that's how it all happened. That's how it all came about. There you go. So Janet, um, we, you touched there, Peter, on the conferences, um, the, the carrier conferences. Janet, can you uh, can you just explain to listeners who, who don't know what this is? Obviously, you're well versed in this. Exactly what the conf uh, carrier conferences were back then? Yes, of course. Um, and you're right, it, um, I do know a lot about conferences because I think I spend about 20 years of my journalistic career writing about the effective dismantling of the conference system by the European Commission. Um, conferences were the backbone of the liner shipping industry for more than 100 years, I mean, well before container shipping, but at a time when people wanted a sort of regular, reliable services. And, you know, in the early days of, of liner shipping, each individual company was too small to provide a liner service, like a bus service on its own. So companies had to group together. And if you're going to offer a shared or joint service with another ship owner, you sort of wanted to offer the same freight rates because you, you couldn't have one ship coming along and charging one thing and the next ship that came along charging something different. So the conferences were formed and um, Peter will... I think the earliest one was about 1870 or something, a conference coming from India to Europe. But so these were, the, in the end, there were conferences all over the world covering different trade lanes and all sorts of shapes and sizes. But the European Commission decided that these were cartels. They weren't illegal, but they wanted to get rid of them. And they felt in the end they, it was an abuse of power. And they took aim at the... Um, the biggest or the, one of the oldest ones, the Far Eastern Freight Conference, and then subsequently the Transatlantic Conference Agreement. And it became really acrimonious. I mean, really nasty. Um, I, I went to court cases. I went to the European Court of First Instance to hear both sides arguing about whether they should or should not be allowed. In the end, as Peter said, um, European Commission or European law prevailed and the conference system was dismantled in Europe or became outlawed in Europe in October 2008. But these conferences had provided an opportunity for industry for ship owners to um, share market intelligence. They'd have, you know, they'd be able to understand what was going on in their particular trade. Um, so they were quite legally able to get together and discuss market conditions and then set freight rates together. And you know, once that system ended in Europe, you know, if it hadn't been for CTS, they would have been working in the dark. Because while it's easy enough to work out what the supply is on any trade lane, you can just sort of add up the slots in all the different ships. It's far more difficult to know what the demand side is without the CTS data, which, as you said in your introduction, is unique. It's the only source of information based in TEU. Otherwise, you'd be looking at you know, customs reports and, and information then put into tons which makes no system if you're trying a sense if you're trying to match demand um, or our supply in TEU with demand in some other measure mm -hmm. so, so you need these TEU numbers and you know I, I think it's right. a fantastic source of information about the state of the state of the uh, state of the container trades but also the state of the global economy 
And I was just going to ask why, so why do you think these figures matter? Uh, just for those listeners who may not realise the significance of this data, but you kind of explain that there. Yeah, well, I think that the shipping industry, whether it's container shipping or other sectors, are really the ship owners amongst the first to really understand what's going on in the global economy because they're seeing what's being loaded onto their ships and they're seeing where it's going. So they understand whether, you know, what markets are doing well, where where imports might be going up or when they might be going down. They can see new trade lanes opening up. So it, it really is the first sign um, of what might be happening, which doesn't often show up in the official government statistics, economic statistics for maybe several weeks or months even. So, you know, if you can look at these figures, like the the, the current um, peak season, that's really interesting because, you know, who knew, whoever thought it was going to be this extended peak season. So I think it's a really early economic indicator, which is not just of interest, I would, I would argue, for the shipping industry, but for policymakers or economists or shippers, financial institutions. So it really is an early sign of what's happening and what will show through in other economic data in the following weeks and months. Exactly. So, I mean, let's briefly discuss um, what is happening now in regards to the figures and the patterns that have emerged in 2020 so far. Uh, of course, this year, the figures, I guess, have painted a picture of the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. And But it should also be remembered that the data tracks two months behind. So the latest uh, figures published by CTS is from August. But importantly, it does show how the container shipping market has fared during these unprecedented times. Uh, Peter, would you care just to explain what the CTS data has shown in the fallout of the pandemic so far this year? Yes, well, I think, you know, the year started pretty sort of nondescript. I mean, it was... uh, just below last year, I think, in terms of the of the total TEUs. February, obviously, we our numbers at the global level and obviously on the individual trade level, very much affected by the Chinese New Year holiday. That fell at the end of um, January this year. So you always see a drop then. But what was different about this year, of course, was this was when the pandemic was really at the end of January, I think it was first declared. And in China, obviously, everything shut down, the holidays were extended. So you do see in the numbers a huge kind of drop off in, in February. March, it tends to bounce back again because, you know, things are sort of start moving again. And that happened also in March. But you then get April, which is then you start to get back into the normal pattern of things. But April this year, there was a huge drop compared to last year. And that obviously was when it was at its peak and was raging through, you know, the rest of the world. It was just beginning to hitting Europe and, you know, that, and that's quite clear in the figures. But then things, interestingly, started to pick up again um, at the global level. And May, June and July, there's been this steady kind of increase. And our last figures in August actually came out slightly above last year, uh, which is quite interesting. So, you know, there was a lot of doom and gloom, obviously, around sort of February, March time. You know, there was no real sort of vision of how this was going to pan out. But as things are looking, I mean, we are seeing this uh, this recovery. Uh, I mean, Janet mentioned the peak season. And obviously, one of the reasons why our July, August figures compare so well with last year 
is because there wasn't really much of a peak season to speak of last year on the, on the trays where you see it. So the Far East North America and Far East Europe. So that's, that's what seems to have given things a, a boost this year is, 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 is a peak season uh, which hasn't really been seen, wasn't seen last year. And even the year before, it, was, it wasn't really that obvious. So it has been quite interesting. Indeed. You also you, you mentioned briefly there a bit about the Trans-Pacific as well. And uh, Janet, so at the moment we're seeing uh, sustained volumes, I guess, when everybody expected volumes to kind of tail off at the moment. Yes, I mean, I I understand they are doing well. You see, you also, I mean, the other source of information are the port figures. And obviously you see the port throughput figures from the US looking good. And I you know, as I understand it, it, the Americans are spending less on services at the moment for all the reasons they're not going away so much. So they're buying stuff. Now, whether that is true or whether it's it's restocking, I'm not sure. But certainly those trades are looking surprisingly strong. And I also think and the other what would be interesting, and I don't know, I'd have to ask Peter this, whether the, the strong Trans-Pacific figures are showing it's coming from China or whether you are because of the you know, trade tensions between China and the US seeing new sources, new suppliers coming onto that trade from other countries. And I think this is where the CTS data again is really interesting because it does start to show maybe new new sources opening up, new markets and um, new trade lanes as one closes and other opens. Is, are you seeing new trade lanes on, that, on the Trans-Pacific, Peter? Or new sources, I should say. Yes. I mean, if you look at exports from China uh, to the USA, particularly, just kind of over the year, the last few years, you know, it's, you've seen this year on year growth. 2019, however, which was obviously the year affected by, you know, the trade wars and everything else, uh, volumes have dropped by about 11 percent uh, compared to the year before. But then you look at Vietnam, which, you know, is, a, is, a, is an alternative source and volumes uh, from Vietnam to the USA in 2019 were up by 34%. So there's a very clear uh, shift there um, in terms of, um, I mean, obviously, the extra volumes from Vietnam are obviously not making up for the, the lost volumes from China in themselves. But you can see clearly that you know Vietnam is is much more important uh, as a as a as a source country uh, to the USA. I mean, this year uh, it's still looking high. I mean, the problem with looking at the figures this year is you know everything is so disrupted, different time timings of where the pandemic is hitting the different parts of the world. So it's difficult to sort of um, you know draw too many conclusions as such, but you know, Vietnam to US, it's still up 15% in the first half of the year, uh, whereas China is down by 16%. Compared That's really to interesting. Do your figures also also show whether they're going um, across the Pacific or coming across through the Suez Canal and the Atlantic? Because obviously, there's this also really interesting shift in trade routes, um, depending on where it's sourced in Asia, which route it takes to get to North America. Yes, I mean, we do have figures on that. We can kind of uh, split it between the Far East and the different coasts. Um, I'm just having a quick look now. I think the biggest growth is obviously on the US West Coast. I mean, quarter two was up like 19% from the Far East. 
uh, Far East as a region, uh, whereas the East Coast and the Gulf Coast was up by only just six and a bit percent. So they seem to be growing you know, in parallel, if you like. Uh, there's no one side which which seems to be becoming more favourable than the other. But we can certainly see that uh, there is there is growth. Do you also, when you're talking to your to the shipping lines, Peter, do you get the impression that, that when they're looking at whether to return to the shipyards or not for new buildings, they are really looking at uh, this data? Because obviously now there does seem to be um, some interest in new building activity again. Mm. And I just yeah. wonder, obviously those are looking, they're looking 20, 25 years ahead when they make a decision on new ships. But, you know, I just wonder whether you get that feeling when you're in touch with the, the lines themselves how much they incorporate this data into their decision making. Well, I'm sure it's one of the many sources of data that they look at to make decisions like that. I mean, we don't forecast, obviously. We're just reporting data as it comes in. And we're, mm. you know, we're doing it with a time lag of one month. So basically, you know, we're, we're entering into uh, November now next week and we'll be publishing the September figures very early on. So um, <clears throat> it is, you know, very current data. So I was going to. So you said you're publishing the figures for September, and then in the next week or so, is it? I know you said that you haven't actually published them yet, but is there any initial signs pointing to the ongoing volume recovery? I haven't. We haven't got. We haven't got all the figures in yet, uh, so we can't really see that at the moment. But I think expectations, from what I gather, are certainly there that on the Trans Pacific, at least, there's still there's still a lot of momentum there. Uh, and September, of course, you know, it's the last chance before Golden Week, uh, you know, when it's another holiday uh, out in China. So, you know, it, it tends to end the peak season. It's the last chance to get stuff going. So, um, you know, looking at the last two months and what's happened there, uh, it's, it, it is looking likely, I think, that uh, September will continue that trend. So um, the next set of these figures will be published in early November um, and obviously you'll be able to see these on the Container Trades Statistics websites where global numbers are free to access. Um, but you'll also be able to see these on the Lloyds List uh, site where we always analyse these upon their release. So look out, look out for that in the next couple of weeks. You mentioned previously there just um, about uh, the supply chain shift and me and Peter have been working on some of this data, basically looking at how this trend has accelerated by recent events such as supply chain disruptions due to the coronavirus pandemic and Sino-US tensions. Um, and we're, I've got an article that's going to be uh, published on Lloyd's List next week, so that's this coming Monday. Um, but Peter, you're also going to be discussing this next week at Global Liner Shipping, I believe. Yes, I am. For my sins, I shall be... Uh, it's glad to, to know that it's actually finally taking place because as you know it was it was supposed to be earlier in the year then it was postponed uh, and finally now it, it's taking place virtually so that's going to be a whole new experience but yes I'll be talking on the 3rd of November at 12 o'clock uh, Central European time and I'll be talking about container trade patterns. Um, sounds great so if you are interested in more please do sign up for the conference there and also um, what must also add uh, Peter um, if people want to sign up for CTS and uh, explore this data further and just um, or whatever how I mean, how do they go about signing up for CTS? 
Okay, well, what you do, we've got a website, containerstatistics.com. Uh, on the homepage there, there's a, you'll see there's a link uh, to register. And by registering, uh, you get access to certain amount of free data. It's it's very it's 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 kind of global by region, but and it also covers uh, the global price index. So you get a picture there of, of a very broad view of what of what is going on. Um, obviously, if you want to have um, more detailed figures, then you can come and talk to us, uh, and we can, you know, put things together to meet to match your requirements. We're very flexible in that way. Uh, and then obviously that's something we can, we're very pleased to talk to, to you about if that's what you need. Great stuff. That's great. Uh, thanks, Peter. Um, and that brings us actually to the end of this week's podcast. Um, finally, thanks to you once again, Peter. And My pleasure. Of course, and of course to you, Janet, as well. Thank you very much. It was nice to talk to both of you. Mm, and you. it's goodbye from me. Um, this has been the Lloyd's List podcast. <laughs>